at best, 20% of the dentists are taking 80% of the continuing education. So I get to that point by saying, I think that's unusual. I think that 20% have practices that are really trying to be on the cutting edge and be more than just transactional to get them to the bottom line. Hey, everybody. I'm Sam Copes, and this is the Driven By Podcast. Life's a lot more fun when you're all in and passionate about what you're building. Here, you'll hear me with entrepreneurs, operators, executives, and public servants from all over the country. They'll discuss their commitment to their craft, defining moments, what's made them successful, where things are headed in their space, plus so much more. This podcast is produced by the team at DrivenbySamCoats.com. And for more information and episodes, go to DrivenbySamCoats.com backslash podcast. Before we get to today's episode, here's a quick word from our sponsor for today's podcast. AB Jets is a great story. It started very small with an entrepreneur and a dream. And it's now one of the largest Lear 60 jet companies in the United States. AB Jets has received the prestigious Argus Platinum rating the last eight consecutive years, which goes to less than 5% of operators in the world. So bypass the hassle and fly private. Go to abjets.com for more information or call them at 888-520-JETS. Hey, everybody. Small businesses are the backbone of America. And this is a great episode about building a multi-generational family business, finding yourself maintaining a high standard of patient care when consolidation is affecting the healthcare industry, plus so much more. My guest today is Dr. Kevin Reed. Dr. Reed is a second-generation dentist of Reed Family Dentistry, which is located about 16 miles from Memphis, Tennessee, with a population of just over 10,000 people. I used to think that a bigger city meant better care and technology, but that's simply not the case. What stood out to me here was the pride of a family business, their principles on capital investment and technology, and their commitment to their field and patients. Please enjoy this week's episode with Dr. Kevin Reed. Dr. Kevin, great to see you. Sam, it's always good to be here with you. Yes, sir. You shared with me that being a dentist, that it's a calling and not a job. Could you share what exactly that means to you, given your second generation here? Yeah, so we've got second generation. My dad obviously started the thing in 49, started the business. How did that happen for me? It probably started out as a vocation, you know, like I picked a job. I had some other choices. This is the one I picked when I got accepted to be in there. And uh, it's become a calling, is what I would say. So it's become more of a calling than just a job. It's uh, more to it than that. It means more than just fixing teeth. And when did that happen? You know, I think it's just evolutionary. You know, probably the first 10 years, I spent a lot of time just trying to learn how to fix teeth, right? I mean, you know, you graduate from dental school, you have a degree. You have a license and you have basic knowledge. Uh, you don't have necessarily a full skill set. You know, you're learning that. So I think that was a job, you know, studying, learning the job. How do you get better at what you're doing? I mean, you think about it in dental school, you had X number of procedures that you had to do to, 
to um, graduate, right? Well, if within those procedures you ran into other type situations, you learn from that. Instructors taught you. But when you get out and you start working, I mean, you probably knew 10% of what you were going to be running into. Uh, it's just So then you're learning your job. As I became comfortable learning the job and the business grew and it expanded, Add an associate, dad retired in 92, somewhere around there, I started hiring a consultant. And then the consultant helped lead me to other places that had a bigger view of what being a dentist could be about. That's when it became a calling. And what was that for you, to go to bigger places? There's a lot of continuing education. First 10 years, I probably took 200 hours a year, and that's a lot. And a lot of that was learning technical skills. But within that, you're meeting other dentists, you're meeting other um, teachers. They give you different viewpoints on what the business of dentistry could be about, the practice of dentistry could be about. And then you move towards specific places. For me, it was the Panky Institute down in Miami. And it's a world-renowned uh, training facility that was established in honor of Dr. L.D. Pankey. And there you're with 18 to 20 people once a year for a week. Uh, you can go more than that. One year I went twice, but usually it's week, and we had seven continuum, seven weeks over about five or six years. And you're not with the same 18 to 20 people every time. And the instructors are dentists that volunteer their time to come in and spend that week and teach you. And it's a training facility. And it's not just training for technical skills. It does. But it's also indoctrinating you to the philosophy and the psychology that Dr. L.D. Pankey used in establishing the way he practiced dentistry. And he had a huge footprint in dentistry. And what did he do that was so unique? So for 10 years, I'm pedaling as fast as I can pedal to try to stay on board and get better and be as good as I can be. I heard a seminar in Chicago in the late 80s called How to Be in the Top 10%. Made a huge impact on me. Of course, I'm thinking at 33 years old, I'm thinking top 10% revenue, right? That's what I'm thinking. But that wasn't what it was about. Yes, this would help you have a better revenue, but it's not measuring your practice that way. It's measuring your practice and your excellence of your skills of how you deliver the work. And so that it's long lasting and it's, top of the line and the best it can, it can be. And that's top percent, 10% in skills, top 10% in managing the people that work with you, top 10% in handling your client base as people. You know, so it started me thinking about that. And then the Panky Institute, when they start talking about Dr. LD's Panky's philosophy, it really honed in for me that what was going to be important, that was the first 10 years what was going to be important for the rest of my career was how to uh, have better relationships with my clients, how to have my patients, how to have better relationships with my team, how do I help them have better relationships with each other and the client. And so it's about relationships. That's what's important. And so what Dr. Pankey's phrase would be, he was a shorter man, and the one that he was dead when I went to the Pankey Institute, but the guy that was leading the institute, okay, Dr. Rich Green, would share this story that he actually trained under Dr. Pankey. And he said, Dr. Pankey would, would come up to him and Rich was taller like me and Dr. Pankey shorter. And he would sternum peck you when he wanted to tell you something. He'd, hey, are you listening to me? Hey, you hear me? This is important. 
There will never be a tooth walk in your office unattached. They don't come in by themselves. They're attached to human beings. Never forget that. You're treating human beings. You're not treating teeth. That really resonated with me. Another incident happened around that same time. So I took Continuum 1. Now the next year I'm going to take Continuum 2. And in that year, I don't know if people have ever watched Rodeo. You know, I watched Rodeo back then at night. You know, the day was I, it was extremely busy. I'm busy now, but I mean, I was busy in a different kind of way. Saw a lot more, saw even more people than I see now. I would tell dental students this, and when I talk with them over the years, I would say, I was just like them when I graduated from dental school. I thought you were a great dentist if you smelled a lot of tooth dust. You smelled a lot of tooth dust, you're a great dentist. That handpiece is cranking, boy, you're the best, you know, and how fast can you do it and how many can you do and all that kind of stuff. So I'm hearing this philosophy from Dr. Pankey. It's really resonating with me, and I'm chewing on it, and I'm thinking about it, and it's like, just remember, a tooth never walks in your office by itself. It comes attached to living, breathing human beings. And that's where we, we coined the phrase, it's not just teeth. We treat people, not just teeth. If that's resonating, and I'm watching rodeo one night. Day's been a pretty long day, I'm sure. Those days were long. I'd get home at 6 or 6.30. I had little kids. Uh, I had two sons and a daughter, and so I, that's where I am. Taylor would have been real little. Taylor would have been, a, when I went to Panky, Taylor was probably two to seven, that age range. Now he's my youngest. So I'm sitting there watching rodeo one night about 11 o'clock. Everybody's in bed. I'm finally like, I'm probably having a beer. <laughs> and I'm watching rodeo. And there was a guy that was the commentator back then, and he was really short. I mean, he's about like, probably like Dr. Pink. He's about five six, but he had this big belt buckle, and he had won like eight bull riding championships. Like he's like the man, and his name was Donnie, Little Donnie they called him. And uh, Little Donnie, he kind of talked kind of like this. You know what I'm saying? I tell you what, that bull right there—that's one tough bull. That bull's name. Mother-in-law, you know that's a main one. And so that's the way he would talk. Well, that was the bull riding, but he would also commentate the calf roping. There's a point to this story. So I'm resonating and trying to chew on this stuff that I'm hearing at Pankey Institute. And I'm seeing Dr. Pankey that set up his practice in Miami from Kentucky and had a whole different vision. His books that you would read have a lot of psychology in them and about how to live your life, not just being a dentist, you know, how to have a, the cross of life, the cross of dentistry, the cross of all this stuff. And it'd be like having equal parts. So you're not all just doing one thing. He's just a really cool dude. So I'm chewing on that. And I'm watching rodeo. Calf roping. If you've seen calf roping, you've got this horse, quarter horse, you got a cowboy on it. Cowboy's got a little tether between his teeth like this, all right? That's what he's going to tie the calf up with, right? So the cowboy's got the little tether. He said he's behind the fence. Calf's over here. Now, I hate to say it, but they probably prod the calf, okay, with a little electric shock. Calf shoots out of there. Then what happens? Door opens. Bell goes off. Cowboy's out there. He's on it, down, wraps it up, hands up. And little Donnie, I tell you what, that there's good right there. That's 8.2. I mean, that is one cowboy. And I'm watching it because when they do it, they do like 10 in a row. Again, I'd probably had a beer or two, so that makes you a little more emotional. But all this going through my head, I had a tough day, a long day. I've got this clinic that is seeing all these people, and I'm hearing somebody telling me it's not about tooth dust. 
Toothpaste is part of it. You have to know how to fix teeth. So that's what my job is. But my calling, my vocation, was how to treat people as human beings and all the things they bring with them when they come and they sit in the chair. They bring their anxiety. They bring stuff from home that's bothering them. All this stuff. And they might have a toothache or they might have a tooth that needs to be repaired. But that's not the whole thing you're about. You're about seeing into and who that person is and what can you do to help them? What can you do to comfort them? And I got this clinic, right? And I, I realize, I mean, I got emotional. I mean, I can remember feeling like a kind of a sadness because I had this vision. What I had was, I was the cowboy. My quarter horse was everybody that worked for me. And I rode them hard. You know, we don't know what happened. When that cowboy rubs that calf and walks off, he walks out of the way, the horse goes out of the way. My team goes home, no matter what's happened today. And cowboy doesn't care because he's going to the next calf. And then the calf, who's the calf? The calf's the patient. I got all these calves in the rooms, and I'm roping them, and I think I'm big stuff because I walk out of the room. He's good. He's good. I did that day 14. So I was fast. I could do a lot of work. How much connection does that cowboy have to that calf? Not much. How much connection does a cowboy have to the horse? A little bit, because he's trained that horse, and the horse is doing something for him, right? But the horse is something he's using. So that was the beginning of understanding a calling instead of a job. And that's when I started the journey I've been on for 30-plus years. And I think my dad had those feelings, too. It's just dentistry was different in the 50s and 60s and early 70s when he was staking his 25 or 30 years uh, working like that. And then I came in with him after 33. So after he'd been working 33, so he did that where he could. It just was a lot busier. And and maybe he had that vision. And I just didn't know it because I worked for him in the summers, you know, from eighth grade through college for like four to six weeks. I was his assistant. Uh, so I saw him operate, and those are the things I did admire about him, is that people trusted him, uh, that he had great integrity. He spoke the truth. You know, maybe sometimes it was uncomfortable for people about what they needed, but he would speak the truth as he saw it. I saw his involvement in the community, you know, because being here for six weeks every summer, you know, he'd get phone calls or he'd go to meetings. Sometimes I'd go to the meeting with him. And um, so I, I definitely modeled those type of characteristics, honesty, being trustworthy, that sort of thing. AB Jets is a great story. It started very small with an entrepreneur and a dream, and it's now one of the largest Lear 60 jet companies in the United States. AB Jets has received the prestigious Argus Platinum rating the last eight consecutive years, which goes to less than 5% of operators in the world. So bypass the hassle and fly private. Go to abjets.com for more information or call them at 888-520-JETS. It sounds like with what you're saying, there's a point here that night when you're almost burned out, it seems. I was burned out. Yeah, I was considering not practicing dentistry. This sounded like a crucial moment. I mean, as I look back on it, that was my road to Damascus. 
you know, that was uh, Saul getting struck by the light and realizing something was bigger than what he had ever imagined. And that's when I realized that probably for the first time, it's when I realized that one thing wasn't going to happen. Wasn't going to write a book. Wasn't going to be a teacher in the normal fashion, which is what I thought I was going to do before I went to dental school. And uh, what I realized was, is I might not ever write about it, but I was going to be instrumental in leading a dental office, a dental team into something bigger than what most people do with it. And that's became my, my urge. Be in the top 10% of everything about it. When you think about the consolidation in your space, when you think about private equity, corporate America, you know, buying clinics and things like that. Oh, I follow you. Like a DSO. Yes, sir. Hedge funds buying, put grouping together dental Correct. businesses. Your national franchises too, like Aspen, yes, stuff sir. like that. So it's more corporate focus. Bottom line accounting is what they're interested in. Transactions. Yep. Versus transformational. I see what we do, what our vision is, is for this to be transformational for people, not transactional. Yes, there are transactions that occur. Obviously, we're doing a we're doing a service, right? We're doing a, so there are pieces to the job that have to be performed, right? That's transactional, but it's transformational into their complete oral health, the complete psychological health, as much as we can be a part of that because they're bringing that with them, the patients. How uncommon is that? I think that um, back when I got started in 82, and I understand I go around the bush sometimes to get there. But when I started in 82, and my dad and I were driving home from the orientation to dental school. So this would have been 1978 when I started dental school. I remember my dad wanted to go to that, and he went with me, and of course he had graduated from there. What I remember dad saying on the way home was, I hope you heard that speaker today. Said, yeah, dad, I heard speaker. You know, I'm 21. Yeah, dad, I heard speaker. He said, well, he said something really important. He said that when you graduate from dental school, they will teach you how to do the basics of dentistry. But if you're going to be successful in dentistry, you're going to be staying it your entire career and making changes as you go along so that every five years you'll look back and then you're doing it different than you were. I heard that. What I experienced in the next 10 years 200, 150 to 200 hours of continuing education a year, all different kinds of dentists, I kept seeing the same type person. And what I would hear and what the lecturers would say when you'd be afterwards having dinner with them, whatever, they would say, at best, 20% of the dentists are taking 80% of the continuing education. So I get to that point by saying, I think that's unusual. I think that 20% have practices that are really trying to be on the cutting edge and be more than just transactional to get them to the bottom line, I think it's only 20%. I think it's the one, it has to be the ones that are going to the courses. And if only 20% are going to the courses, then that's, that's the separation, I think. Can you describe, take clinic A or group A that's all about the transaction, the client, running a business, but getting people in and out, and then take this. Yes, sir. And then exhibit B, example B. Relationship. Where people that are, they're invested into the whole person. How does the patient, what do they experience differently? I think that what we have going here 
would answer a question, where does a patient feel differently when they come to Reed Family Dentistry versus going to a lot of other dental offices? In my opinion, I don't go to all the other dental offices, but what I hear from patients are things like, I've never been in a dental office, I've never been in a physician's office that feels like this. They say, I feel like I'm part of the family. I feel like this is a family. I feel like I hear y'all's conversations in the hall. I hear y'all when you're working on me, and I feel like that y'all are close like family. And as a patient, I have that feeling. So I think that is the vibe that people get when they come here that they don't get in a lot of places they go, that they're coming into a team that likes each other, they're coming into a team that cares about what they're doing, and they're being accepted as a part of that team. And why does that drive the value of the actual expertise that you have? Because I think a lot of people look at going to a dental office, they have anxiety, they're worried about discomfort, and they've got a lot of experiences they may have already experienced growing up, going to the dentist. And so I think when they are able to go to a place that they feel like they're being treated at the heart level rather than just the physical level only, I think that feels different. I think that's something people, they may not can put their finger on why they like it, but I think that's what they like. I think they like the heart versus the, the head. Could you speak to how you balance the heart, but also with expertise, with understanding of your craft, with technology, capital allocation into your clinic and other the other clinic well, you have? Well, if you, you know, when we talk about a dental office and we talk about how does a dental office practice with heart, but yet do all the technological, technical things that are necessary to do the restoration of the oral health, you know, to how does how do you balance those two? I think that that's how you get to the cutting edge level of expertise in being a dentist is by having the heart to want to do the very best thing for everybody that walks in that door. The passion. The heart and the passion of everyone knowing that when they walk in that door and they sit in your chair, you've invested the time with your team, you've invested the time with your studies, with other mentors, with other instructors, and learned. And you, they can look around the office and they see all the cutting edge technology, the, CB, the uh, cone beam technology, the digital, everything being digital, digital impressions, everything. They come in over a period of years, they see the evolution of things in the office. And that's, for me, that's coming from the heart. That's coming from the heart. It's not necessarily about looking at it and saying, that cone beam costs $100,000. I got one here, I got one in Covington. I don't look at that cone beam as $100,000. I go, oh, I'm going to do that cone beam for $100,000 because I'll make a million. I'm going to do the cone beam for $100,000 because that is the latest technology that needs to happen to give my patients the best diagnosis and the best chance to have complete oral health. What I do know is that investment in doing the best dentistry in having the best team and compensating your people well, taking care of them, 401ks, good plans, giving them something that skills that they can take home to be with their family, to be in their church community, and all these things that you're helping your team with and helping serve the patients better. In the end, 
helps more people desire and move on the road to better oral health. And as they do, yes, there's a cost for those services. Yes, that creates revenue. Yes, that makes a successful business. So you get both in. You're just not centered on that. You're centered on guiding people to the most healthy spot, whether it's your team member and their psychological health and spiritual health, or whether it's the patients and their oral health. What's it feel like to you at this point in your career where you had this key pivotal change where it's almost like you were burned out from transactions? You know, how you get to the evolution of who you are is a long question, okay? And um, it's not done by yourself. So spiritually, you know, I, I believe in a power that's greater than us. It helps lead us if we listen, if we're listening with our spirit. And I think people are put in our path. My dad was my dad. I mean, I was born for my mom and dad. So they have a huge part of who I, how I see the world, okay? And that's a gift that was given to me by being, you know, by being born to them. There's mentors throughout all my past. And so it's seeking something more expansive, more worthwhile, more meaningful. And in that process, listening and questioning and literally being in the moment with people that have experiences that help you live differently creates awareness for you. So for me, my father, a lot of different friends, uh, a mentor named Kendrick Mercer I ran into about the time that I went to the Panky Institute, totally separate guy, successful businessman that sold it all when he was about 50 years old and went into basically just teaching philosophically to help people have more full lives. And um, I spoke to him around this time about quitting dentistry. That was burnout. Uh, 10 years in, 12 years in. Very successful revenue-wise. I would have been the top practice for a general dentist even back then that way. And um, had little kids, family, wife, wonderful wife. I was burnt out. Wasn't sure that I ever wanted to do this anymore. And he was very inspirational and very knowledgeable and inspirational about how to help me refocus what I was doing. And so... Quite simply, he laid it out this way. He said, well, I understand. I understand you're almost 40 years old and you're not sure you're doing what it is you want to be doing. You feel like you're just spinning and spinning hard and not, and it doesn't feel meaningful to you. He said, uh, and I understand that. He said, let me ask you a couple of questions. If you sold everything you have, how much money would you have? I said, what? He says, well, I mean, if you sold everything you had, sold your dental business, sold your dental practice, sold your house, moved to a smaller house, got down to one car, how much money would you have? So this was 26 years ago. I said, well, I don't know. He said, well, you'd have a million dollars, wouldn't you? I said, yeah, I'd have a million dollars. Probably a little more than a million dollars, right? Yeah, I'd probably have a little more than And he was in financial business. He said, so you had a little more million dollars, yeah. So you'd be all right for quite some time. I mean, you could just kind of hang out, 5% of that, Live on 50 grand. Yeah, you could do that if you needed to. Well, yeah. He said, well, you might not want to, but you could. Yeah, I could do that. He said, okay. So we've already established you don't have to be a dentist. And so that's fine. He said, but there's one rule 
that you need to understand. You can't ever leave anything until you completely love it. Once you completely love it, then you can walk out the door. And he said, uh, because if you don't, if you leave it because you think you're not happy and you're going to go to the next thing and you're going to be happy, it's the same you going to both of them. And he said, you're just going to find you're going to be unhappy again. But if you can learn to love what you're in, it might not be where you want to stay, and it might not be your last love, but if you learn to love what you're in, then you can walk through that door, and you and I can talk, and we can look at all the doors that will be open in front of you, and then you can move into them because you'll be healthy, and you'll be living from where your heart tells you to be. But you can't run from one to get to the other. So the next three months, what I want you to do, that's what he said, Kevin, he said, oh, next three months, I want you to take whatever time it takes on the way to work, when you get there, sit in the car if you need to, an extra five or 10 minutes, even if you're going to be late seeing the first patient, and walk in that back door and tell yourself, everything you do today, you're going to love it. And if there's a patient that gets on your nerves and you can't feel that away with them, you just quietly walk out of the room, go to your office, sit down for two or three minutes, wait just a minute, let everything settle, maybe go to the next room and don't go to that patient yet. And don't worry about that negative experience. It doesn't matter. You're just going to center yourself all day long on all the good things that you're seeing, all the team members that you're seeing. If somebody does something you don't really like, maybe you correct it, maybe you ignore it, but you don't center on it. It doesn't make your day. It's not about whether or not your day is going to be happy because you're going to talk to the next team member and you're going to be happy with them and you're going to move through your day like that. Only loving the things that are really great that day. And called me back next month. Called him back next month. And he said, well, how's it going? Still want to quit dentistry? I go, no, I don't. I said, I've had the best month of my career. It's unbelievable. Money-wise, but I mean, just feeling, it's just been awesome. He goes, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. We'll talk next month. So we did that for three months. Then in three months, he said, so uh, we still going to quit? I go, no, I'm not going to quit. I've never enjoyed anything more in my life. That was a transformational moment. So what, what was holding you back? Uh, just being busy and thinking about the negative things that were not pleasant about my job, as opposed to seeing a bigger vision of what all was great about where I was, what I had the possibility. And that's when I realized, you know what? I can be a teacher right here. I can teach the patients, take a little more time. I can teach my team. We meet once a month for three hours. And we do team meetings. And it's all about teaching them how to be better at this business, but how to be better as people. You said, I know one CEO that comes here. He's got 3,000 employees. You've talked about others before, I think maybe a few hundred. But you said, you've told me before we recorded that people that run large organizations, they wish they could have the culture or they wish they could have the feeling that they have when they come through your doors that you have here. Did I hear you correctly? I have heard patients tell me that are very huge contributors in big organizations that would like for their organization to have the feeling that they have from the team members here that they feel. And I'm sure there's huge companies that that happens, you know, but some of these are in other healthcare industries, things like that, or not-for-profits, or just bigger organizations. Sometimes it's harder to control that. I think they still can, but it, it can't start. That's a good point. How does it happen in an office of 16? And does that mean it can't happen in a business of 1,000? I think it can in either one. 
But it won't in either one. It won't in an office of 16. It won't in the business of 1,000 or 5,000 people unless it starts from the top. It has to start with the leadership at the top. It has to start with me in this office. It had to be my dad before that. It has to be Taylor now as he's taking the mantle. There has to be a beginning and an energy from leadership that helps keep the culture on track. And that's what we're talking about when you describe that. When people say, I wish we could have that feeling in our office, they're saying, I wish I could have this cultural feeling. I wish I could feel what this culture feels like at my place of work. If they make that, if I've said that and they said that to me, that's what they're talking about. That how do I have this culture that you have here? I would like to have that be the culture of where I work. And I think that starts with the leadership. If they're not the leader, or one of the leaders, then they can they can ask the leaders to do that, but they somebody has to it has to start with leadership. It has well, to start with a desire that I didn't have necessarily the first ten years I practiced. Right. But what I got and have evolved over the next thirty, what Taylor is already there was leadership from my father and, and I what leadership I had, I modeled him and it was good. It was great for his time. But the world's changing. Constantly, the world's going to change when I'm gone. And Taylor will have that leadership, which he's doing now, to establish leadership and the culture that he wants. And his, the culture that I wanted developed was a little bit different than my dad developed. Taylor's will be a little bit different than mine. That's fine. It, it, but it will have the identity of the leader. As we wrap up, based off of what we've talked about this morning, is there a story that you cling to in your head or you go to on those tough days? I mean, it's every day. It's every day. It's every week for sure. In our monthly meeting, very first thing we do, we share what's called smile moments. What's, what's made you smile this month? Something a team member did, something that happened with a patient, something a doctor and patient, you and the patient. And we have to cut it off after about 25 months. They're all sharing stories. Well, there was Mrs. So-and-so, there was Mr. So-and-so, or this happened, or that happened. I mean, every month. I mean, I can't, just this morning. I mean, I had two patients today, and they were supposed to be just easy stuff, so I'd come in here and be all relaxed. And they were both having psychological meltdowns, you know, about their fear about how, one, how am I going to get out of pain, and the uh, that they're not sure what the pain was. I think we've got a good idea. I think most places they went, I think it's a multi-layered. I think it's medical and dental. And then the other one needs a complete rehabilitation of her teeth, lacking funds. She's been trying to work it out for a year. Now things have happened where she can. And I'm looking at somebody that every time she used to come in a year ago, she had to take Ativan. Ativan's an anti-anxiety medicine. And I said, did you take any medicine today? She said, no, I don't need to. I'm comfortable. That's an example. Stuff like that happens every day. Or every week, for sure. And that's what I cling to. That's, that is important to me. That's more important to me than the person that walks in and maybe is upset that I won't do something for them right this moment that they say I should do. Treat something, and I go, no, that's the wrong order. We can't do that right now. You know, we've got to wait. We've got to get a plan. We've got to do that. You know, some of the negativity, I just, it just goes away. I don't listen. I don't see it. And there's a multiplier effect as you've been able to pour into the hearts more, more people. of your staff, of your team, right. 
And yes. they're pouring into patients. Yes, and that's where I was going with the other, and I forgot. But yes. So how do you do that? How do you reinforce the culture? How does the culture happen? Do you think it's because Dr. Kevin Reed can do that with every patient that walks in? Do you think it's because Dr. Kevin Reed can treat everybody from his heart and, you know, have all this time? Do you think Dr. Kevin Reed sometimes has to rope cattle? Yes, I do. I mean, we have to get <laughs> these procedures done, right? But when I walk out of the room, my assistant's there, one of my assistants. They know the culture. They know what we believe. They have the same heart. When they leave, they're checking out with the front. So that's what people are seeing. They're seeing a continuity of the culture and the heart from everybody, not from one or two people. It's from everybody. That's awesome. Thank you. Yep. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Driven By Podcast. If you enjoy the show, please leave a review. Please subscribe to the show. And you can follow me on social, on Twitter and Instagram to join me for future episodes of the Driven By Podcast. Hope you have a great week and see you next time.